Hey, let's thank our band. All right, there they are. I love that. <laughs> no, it's awesome. Very, very good. And I'm just so glad to see you guys here. Happy Mother's Day. It's just wonderful to see you. Thanks for being here tonight. You know, it's funny. Whenever you start a, a Sunday night service, uh, which we started here at the Hub, and uh, a lot of churches are doing this now. It seems to be a good time uh, for people and meets their needs. But Josh Hoosman, who started our first Sunday night ministry called The Rising here, he's now a church planter out in Indianapolis with one of our church plants out there. And he told me, he says, Glenn, now I just want to warn you, when you have Sunday night, there's a couple of times that are going to kill you. He says, the Super Bowl will kill you. He said, Mother's Day is going to kill you. And then he mentioned a couple others, the Oscars or something like that. I don't know what, else, what all the other ones were. And he says, those long weekends like Memorial Day. So I'm so grateful for you guys being here. Thank you for being here and keeping us strong, uh, even on a Mother's Day night. And just so, so glad uh, that you're here. If you're a visitor, just like Pastor Lisa said, hope you feel right at home. And I would love to meet you. If you've got an extra minute or two after we're done, uh, please come on up and introduce yourself or I'll be back um, eating strawberry shortcake. You know, Lisa, you said we don't have a meal tonight, but I can make a meal out of strawberry shortcake. Can any of you do that? I can, I can totally make a meal. It's my favorite dessert. So just you can make a meal out of that. And so that's the beauty of there being a lot fewer people. More strawberry shortcake for us is what I'm talking about. So that, that's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um, I also apologize. We don't have our study outlines tonight. We had a little bit of a glitch, and so no study outlines tonight. But you can access on your mobile device or on your smartphone. You can uh, access those if you, if you want to. But you know what? If they don't have the, the Q code, oh, they can, what do they do? Oh, that was right behind me. That's it's right behind me, and they don't need their Q code. So you can access it on your phone if you'd like to. Otherwise, it'll be up here on PowerPoint, and uh, I will be going through that. So would you turn with me there, either on your mobile device or on your smartphone, and next Sunday night we'll get back to having our uh, paper outlines that we will have. But isn't it beautiful to think that we saved at least one or two trees in Oregon tonight by uh, us not having that here? But at any rate, we've been doing a series called The Other Six Days which is a series about how God looks at our work. And I just had some people talking to me earlier about how much they appreciate this series. I've appreciated this series, to be able to look at our work in a biblical way. And next Sunday night, we're going to get back into that. We're going to talk about balancing your work and of the rest of your life. How many struggle with work-life balance? Well, next Sunday night's going to be for you, and we're going to have such a great time as we uh, go into that. But tonight, with it being Mother's Day, I thought we would talk about moms at work and the work of not just moms. So don't think, oh, if I'm not a mom, this doesn't apply to me. This applies to the whole church. Like I said, this is part of the DNA of Purpose Church, of the hub, is to unleash hope, to give hope to young adults, to children, grandchildren, young adults that are within our lives, children that are within our lives, raising their hope is something, placing hope in them, is something that's part of the DNA, the foundation of what we're all about as a church. Now, the first key in any organization, they say the most important thing, if you're a leader at work or you're a leader at school or you're a leader in some organization or you're a leader here in church, they say the most important thing is to keep yourself encouraged. Now that kind of sounds narcissistic. That sounds selfish. But the most important thing is for you to be encouraged because you can't lead anything if you yourself are not encouraged. And so if you're a leader within the home, okay, a dad or a mom within the home, if you're a, you've got to keep yourself encouraged. You know, the best analogy is, you know, when you're on a plane 
And they come on and they say, if we have um, the unlikely event that we have a loss in cabin pressure, the, uh, the oxygen mask will drop down. And do you remember what they say? Help yourself first, then help the child next to you. Or they say, wives, put it on first, then help your husband after that, because he'll be helpless. So Kimberly knows to put that on first and then to help me, because I'm mechanically declined and I will not figure out how to get that thing on. And so at any rate, you, you take care of your own needs to get the oxygen, then you're able uh, to minister to them. And the same thing is true. We need to keep ourselves encouraged. Now, 3 John 1, verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. And I love this quote by Wes Stafford. He's the former uh, CEO of Compassion International. He said, children are more than we think they are. They can do more than we think they can do. All they need is a vote of confidence from grown-ups whom they will ultimately replace anyway. Their dream today will become the realities of tomorrow. So here's the primary shift, is turning our children on to things uh, rather than turning them off. Ray Johnson writes, parents provide both direction and motivation. Direction-based parenting tends to deliver guilt. Motivation-based parenting tends to deliver hope. Now this next verse that we're going to look at is just one of the keys toward unleashing hope within the children of our congregation and within our homes. You see, when kids are young, we need to provide them mainly direction. That is, we tell them what to do. But when they get to be teenagers, uh, if we major in direction and minor in motivation, that won't work as well as if we now begin to mix in motivation as well as direction. Let me, let me put this verse up here. Psalm 127, verse 3. Children are a gift of the Lord. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Let's put the next one up there. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. So these are the three steps. Stage number one, let's put that picture up there, is direction. You pick up an arrow and you aim it, okay? Our children are arrows that we give them direction earlier in their life. But then when they become teenagers, stage two is motivation. You pull back the string. And through encouragement and motivation, you pull back the string, and then stage three, release, uh, you, you let it go. Now, when they're young, we mainly need to give them direction. But as they get to be teenagers, they need direction and motivation because they go, teenagers don't go necessarily where mommy and daddy tell them to go. Does anybody want to say amen to that? They go where they are motivated to go. They go where they want to go. Uh, Ray Johnston um, writes about this. He says, one problem as Christian parents is that we tend to be great at direction but not at motivation. Then we struggle when our kids hit the teen years and a little rebellion starts up. Many parents respond by increasing the amount of direction at increased amounts of volume. Instead of supplying good motivation, that creates a culture of shame instead of a culture of hope. The problem is kids only flourish in a motivational culture of hope. We need to learn what turns them on, not off. On innumerable occasions, I've seen well-meaning people do something that he or she thought would turn kids on when in fact it turned them off and the person had no clue. We mistakenly think that more information will provide more desire. It usually doesn't. As kids grow older, we have to become much better at teaching the heart rather than filling the head. One of the best ways to reach the heart is to provide hope, to help our kids see what they can become rather than dwell on what they are. My whole adult life, I have worked with teenagers and their parents, speaking in churches, conferences, schools, and everywhere else. Everyone asks the exact same question, 
How do I motivate my kids so that when I let them go, they go in a healthy direction? Okay? Now, here are some of the ones. Two barriers and three builders that we're going to look at. Two barriers to that happening and three builders for that happening. Barrier number one, do not delay joyful living until your kids turn 18 and leave the house. Now, this is a real temptation, is that when they get to those teen years, when they go through junior high, there's this real temptation to say, you know what? I'm just going to grind out the teenage years, okay? I'm, I'm just going to grind them out. We are just going to get this thing right until we launch them from the home, and then I will go back to having fun in life uh, once again. The most important sound in our homes during the teenage years needs to be laughter, that is the most important thing uh, uh, for our kids to hear. It is, it is about vacations, not lectures. It's about providing them experiences when we're together having fun. The most important thing you can do with your kids is to do April Fool jokes. I would rather my kids will remember my April Fool jokes more than they will remember uh, what uh, uh, lecture that I happen to give them. And so what we do is we try to concentrate on making our home a joyful place. And I would just want to encourage you, those of you with younger children, you hear all these horror stories about the teen years. They were our favorite years. Kimberly and I were in the last of our six teenagers. And we've got ones, uh, they're 19 and 20, so we just have one teenager. Boy, I just realized that. That is so depressing. We have about eight more months or five more months of the teen years, and then they'll all be 20 years of age and older. And so we are in, gosh, I'm going to depress myself just by talking up here. We're in the last, let's see, till, uh, till um, August. So we are in the last three months of the teenage years that we have been in for a decade or more since our you know, 32-year-old turned to be a teenager. So what, this is about the end, the last three months of our 20 years with teenagers. And I have just loved the teenage years. But the key is to make sure that our home is a place where they are experiencing joy and not just tons more direction, but more motivation. And here's the second barrier. Don't let your teenagers intimidate you. And I really want to encourage you, because I think in our culture particularly, they, the, our culture promotes adults being intimidated by their teenagers. Anybody want to say amen to that? Okay, they are younger. They are thinner. Uh, they may be cooler. Hollywood teaches them that they're smarter. Have you ever noticed that? Whenever Hollywood has parent-child uh, interactions, the kids are always the geniuses and the, and the adults are morons, you know? And so within our culture, we have this whole thing going on. Sociologist Gene Pocek said this, there are some cultures in which the elderly are revered for their experience and wisdom, but American society values youth and denigrates age. In this culture... The greatest compliment, I thought this was so true. In our culture, the greatest compliment one can pay an older person is to tell them that they seem or look younger than they are. Isn't that true? That's the greatest compliment. Oh my goodness, I thought you were way younger. Now, if that's looks, I think that's, that's okay. Uh, you know, um, although I have never really gotten that in my life. You guys know, every day I start out depressed because I always get, I'm an ice tealholic. And so every morning I drive into Jack in the Box and I get my giant iced tea that I nurse throughout the day. And it's the most depressing event. This happens to me like every morning. I, I pull up and they hear my voice and I tell them that I want an iced tea. And when I pull up and they actually see me, they knock it down to the senior adult price. Okay. So you would think I'd be happy because I'm getting it for less. I am not happy. I would gladly pay double just that they don't give me that. 
But it's funny, they hear my voice, it's one price. As soon as they see me, oh my goodness, you're about dead. Let's give him the good price because he won't be here much longer anyway, you know. So, so we live in a culture when it's this. Now, this is, this is foolishness. This is the part of the foolishness. Our culture has many strengths, but it has certain weaknesses. And you just got to remember that there's a big difference between acting sophisticated and actually being mature. Big difference between acting sophisticated and actually being mature. And so we've got to remember, and another thing to remember about our teenagers, they still value our opinion. We begin to think, oh, they only listen to their friends. You know, every piece of research that I've seen says that they still, their parents are the number one source of advice for them. And so we don't need to be intimidated. Uh, This one mother, I love what she did. Last week, I was driving downtown with my 16-year-old, too-cool-for-life daughter. She said, at the stoplight, I glanced out the window, saw something, and yelled, Honey, duck! I pushed my daughter's head down and sped two blocks down the street. She was saying, Mom, what is it? A carjacker, a gun, a robber. Two blocks later, I took a deep breath Pulled back my hand. I said, honey, I'm so sorry. I saw one of my best friends and couldn't bear to be seen with my teenage daughter. This mom played a prank on her daughter, but also showed a great example of how not to be intimidated by a too cool for life uh, teenager. And so we shouldn't be intimidated on them. They want to hear from us. They, they may not seem like it, but they do. And so we shouldn't be intimidated. Now, here's the three builders that go with the two barriers. Builder number one is to stay future focused. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. And I've been sharing all day at all the services on Mother's Day a tribute to my wife, Kimberly, who was so good at not just seeing what the kids were going through, but seeing what they could become. And I confess to you, I really got buried by who they, who they are at the moment. And I've shared many times the story of my strong-willed daughter, Abby, and boy, she was just such a strong-willed kid that I just, I just for years thought, I am just a lousy parent. I am not good at this thing. I mean, she just broke us. She, she ran our home from like the age of a, six months on. She just, she called the shots. And, and I was always like, oh my goodness, we're, we're just in a mess here. And Kimberly never panicked. She always had a vision for what that could become rather than what it was. And, and like I've shared many times, Abby now is a legislative director on Capitol Hill. She runs Congress, I'm telling you. She writes bills of Congress, and, and, and she is just that strong-willed, really did well later on in life. But man, when she was young, we were just like, oh my goodness, this is, this is so hard. And, and people would kind of look down on us for our parenting. And so those of you with a strong-willed child, you just pray for God's justice on those people that look down on you. Pray that their compliant child will be followed by a strong-willed child so that, uh, so that they will experience what you're going through. But we stay future-focused. We always ask, what can this person uh, become? Who, who can they become? Now, the best example of this is Jesus. This is why people were drawn like a magnet to Jesus. This is why people love Jesus. It's because he was like the best at seeing what a person could become, not what they were. You know, a prostitute would come up to him, and everybody would be saying, look at who she is. And he'd be saying, ah, but what can she become? 
She can, she can become a world changer. If they'd look at these you know, fishermen that had no education and no school, and, and he, he'd just look at this bunch of fishermen, and they'd say, uh, you know, ah, oh, just look at them. They're just, you know, they're in this backwoods part of the country in Galilee, and what's going to ever come of them? They're not sophisticated. They're not senators in Rome. They're fishermen, for Pete's sake. They're on, on the Sea of Galilee, and he'd look at them and say, you know what? I can start the biggest movement in world history with these guys. And I think, I think that's part of, I, I know it was supernatural going on and it was the fact that he was God in human form and I know all that, but I think at the personal level, they just loved him because they could see in his eyes what they could become. Um, Kimberly and I are really enjoying, um, and, and here, let me be very careful and put disclaimers on it because it has a lot of things that aren't exactly the way the Bible is. But have any of you seen this miniseries that's on NBC called AD? You know, anybody watch that? Yeah, every night when we finish here, uh, we go home and at nine o'clock, Kimberly, she's all excited. You know, she said this morning, guess what? AD's on again tonight. And, and it's about, it's, it's a representation of what happened in the early church. It's on NBC every night at nine o'clock. And, and there are things, don't don't take it as Bible, okay? Go to your Bible to find out what actually happened. But it's pretty close. It, it's close enough that it doesn't bother me. And the person, the character we have fallen in love with is Peter. Just fell in love with Peter. Um, uh, I, I just, uh, just, that guy was so ordinary. And yet Jesus filled him with the Holy Spirit. And that guy literally is the greatest changer of world history on that, on his life. Jesus built his church, and here we are two and a half billion people later, 2,000 years later, uh, through this fisherman. Now, when he went through um, his, a time of discouragement in John chapter 21, it's after the resurrection. And you got to remember, Peter was afraid to see Jesus. Everybody else is like, Jesus is back. And Peter's like, oh, no, he's back. How am I going to face him? I denied him three times. How can I face him? I love this passage. When they had finished eating... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, this is where the Greek tense in the original Greek really helps us. It's in the present tense. Okay, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, now this is in the future tense. Okay, the future tense, feed my lambs. Present tense, do you love me more than these? Future tense, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Okay, present tense in the original Greek. Uh, he's, he, the, the, he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep, future tense. The third time he said to him, because he denied him three times, Jesus does this three times. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Present tense. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, future tense, feed my sheep. He said, I have got a future for you. And in this beautiful passage, uh, Jesus frees Peter from his past. And he restores his relationship with him in the present. And he sets him free to a great future. Isn't that awesome? Frees him from his past. Restores his relationship with Peter in the present. And sets him free uh, to uh, a great future. He said, you follow me. Um, you know what? I just I want to read the rest of the passage. It's so awesome. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, was following them. This was the same one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Isn't that, isn't that great? I mean, 
um, we always compare ourselves. Lord, I, um, you bless me, but how do you bless me compared to them? I mean, how many of you that got gift cards here tonight say, hey, what about the house? You know, uh, you know I got, got my gift here at Target, but, but what about him? Has he got something better than me? And uh, Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. And so he frees us from our past. He restores us in our relationship with him. And now he sets us free to the future, seeing what we can become. Builder number two is believe that God can use kids and teenagers. This is one of the best things to remember. God can use, it's not like automatically you hit 21 or 30 and you can be used by God. God can use kids. Um, 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct in love in faith and in purity. You know, I'm, I'm kind of glad that my daughter Rebecca is usually with me here on the front row, but I can talk about her, um, you know, because, you know, without her being here. But, you know, Rebecca... Uh, you know, she's got certain challenges and stuff. They were our foster children, and we adopted them. Um, you know, when they were about four or five years old, they were our foster children from about six months or a year on. And then we adopted them because of situation in their lives that freed them for adoption. Um, then we adopted them when they were about four years old. But the thing about Rebecca is uh, we, we have this thing called oikos here where, you know, the 8 to 15, the oikos is the Greek word for household, so there's 8 to 15, your sphere of influence. And we have a saying in our family that dad preaches oikos, but Rebecca's the only one that actually lives it, okay? She's not the only one, I shouldn't say that. But she lives it better than any of the rest of us. Almost everybody that has come to Christ through our family, I'm talking in the personal way, not through church or not through preaching, but almost everybody that relationally has come to Christ through the Gunderson family has come through Rebecca. She is the one that builds relationships. She is the one that God has used, used her to one-on-one -on -one reach more people for Christ than anybody else within our family. God can use your kids. God can use teenagers. And builder number three is expose your kids to significant events and experiences. Boy, one of the most powerful things we can do for our kids is, 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 um, is get them to camp, okay? I'm telling you, I know right now Pastor Eric is just pushing camp big time. Camp is like huge. How many of you, God used camp in your life to change the direction? It changed my life. My life was changed uh, through Christian camp. Or things like missions trips. And they don't have to be elaborate missions trips. I know our kids did a lot of, you know, to other countries and that kind of thing. But they can be, you know, to Rainbow Acres. Our high schoolers are all heading Memorial Day weekend to serve at a home. Uh, the Rainbow Acres is for um, people with uh, mental disabilities and, uh, and mainly Down syndrome, adults in Arizona. And God can use those. Or taking your kids to work with the homeless meal. Um, give them experiences. It's amazing how experiences can really just change the heart of your children. Um, my poor kids, they kind of alternated. When I spoke someplace, they would go with me on trips, and it was kind of like it just kind of came in a certain order, and I always feel bad for Abby because she went with me to New Jersey to speak at a Bible conference, and then the next one was to Thailand, and that's where Leah got to go. So Abby's like, I go to New Jersey, Leah goes to Thailand, you know. And then the next time it came around to Leah's term, and I don't know if I've ever told you this, Priscilla, who's here on the second row, hero within our midst who spent her life in Pakistan and Afghanistan, and I was going to visit Priscilla and to see the work and the ministry there. And I wanted to bring Leah with me. And she was only about 10 years old. I've never told you this story, Priscilla. 
And the travel agent made me feel so bad about myself for taking my 10-year-old to Pakistan that I ended up leaving her at home. I had just taken her when she was like seven to Thailand because I was speaking at a conference there. And then I was going to take her to Pakistan. And that, that travel agent made me feel this tall. I wish I had resisted that because I think it would have been good for her. And, you know, you know so who cares if it's dangerous or whatever? You know, I, I should have done that. So there, I've confessed to a missionary in your presence my sins. Uh, how do you like that? Um, uh, so expose them to significant events and experiences. And then you'll see, let's put up this here, the cycle of self-image and inferiority. See, how I feel and think about myself, how I respond to life, how others respond to me. And the inferiority cycle is a low view of self. So I have those feelings of self-doubt, self-hate, negative escape behaviors, and a sense of rejection. And the thing that gets our kids most excited about Jesus is many times serving Jesus, not just cramming more information into them, but giving them adventures. Kids want adventures, and adventures get them more excited. And like I said, it doesn't have to be, I've used extreme examples like going to Pakistan and Thailand and things like that. You know, just, just working in the homeless ministry here at church or just serving in a ministry. Your kids serving in the nursery side by side with you. Your kids serving on parking lot patrol side by side with you. Your kids serving here for meals, scooping up strawberry shortcake side by side with you. These kind of side by side experiences are something that can be powerfully used. Ray Johnson said, any kid will do great if you give them two things, a warm welcome and an adult who's crazy about them. And this is where everybody comes in. Okay, this is where, forgive me if you feel like, oh, you know, I don't have kids at home or, or whatever. But this, this applies to everybody here at the Hub. When you see a child, when you see a young adult, when you see a teenager... Just getting to know their name. Eric Holmstrom, our high school pastor, pushes us on this all the time. Just if, if high schoolers have one or two adults that know their name and ask about their week, it makes all the difference as to whether they continue to follow Jesus or not. It's just like, I mean, research has shown this, that if they just have a couple of adults in their lives that care about them, that, that give them a welcome who's crazy about them, who say, hey, is there any test at school I can pray for you about? What's your hardest subject at school? Um, I always ask uh, high schoolers whenever they ride in my car, my kids' friends, what do you like the most at school and what do you dislike the most? And, and can I pray for you in whatever class it is? Or do you have an exam that's coming up or a sports competition? Any kid will do great if you give them two things, a warm welcome and an adult who's crazy about them. Okay, let's stand up. Mother's Day benediction for everybody. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Go get strawberry shortcake.